Um, would you grab your Bibles and open to Luke chapter 7? Luke chapter 7. So we are going to jump into our next practice series today. Is everybody excited? Okay, well, we'll get there. Hopefully, uh, yeah, by the end of the month, hopefully you'll be more excited. We'll see how this goes. Um, so uh, we're starting a practice series on forgiving others, the practice that Jesus has invited us into. Let, let me just give you kind of a word about practice series. And um, as I do, let me just use as an illustration this series that we're going to jump into. One of the things that we believe very deeply is that we are being formed we are being shaped by the world around us, whether we, uh, whether we have invited that shaping and forming or not. We're, we're being changed. And um, we're also invited to become like Jesus. And so that means there needs to be an intentional step into a process that combats the formation of the world around us. So let me give you an example. Um, over the last year or so, Imagine if you had been kind of confined to a relatively small group of people. See if you can picture that in your head. Um, and that small group of people, your family, and maybe a few other people that are uh, highly connected to you, they become your primary circle of influence. Can you get it in your head? Um, depending on who those people are, you come out of this year different than you went into this year. So imagine if you spent your year with people who were um, opposed to mask regulations, for instance, you, you would come out with a certain opinion of the world. If you spent your time with people who were staunch Democrats, you would come out with a certain opinion of the world. If you were, were connected to people who were super invested in society or removed from society, those things would influence you. The people around you make a dramatic impact on how you live. And then, added to that, there are certain narratives and stories that we believe about the world. So those come from our heritage, from growing up, things that we learned and believed. But let's just take the last year again as an example. If you every day for the last year watched CNN, you would see the world a certain way. If you every day for the last year watched Fox News, you'd see the world a different way. And if every day for the last year you watched Newsmax, you would see the world a different way. I don't even know if they've been around a year, honestly. But if they have, you would have, you would have seen it a different way. The, the stories that we believe, particularly in an age where we have a difficult time knowing what to trust and believe, the stories that we do believe shape us and form us. They change the way that we live. They change our, our spirit and our motivations. And then add to that the habits that we engage for some of you, you get up early and you have disciplines that are the way that you engage the world. Those form you and shape you. Uh, that You have a, a habit by which you go to bed at night. Those things shape you and form you. For some of you, like you put on a pair of jeans for the first time two weeks ago and you were like, man, I'm so, I wanted to wear the sweats again, right? Like that's where you are. No judgment. It's okay. Like if you've worn sweats for the last year, uh, we had somebody cheer in the 830 about that. That was maybe a little over the top, but whatever. Uh, it, th those things shape you. They form you, right? The habits that we have are, are all part of what forms us. And all of that formation makes us the people that we are. So 2020, over the course of that year, there's been all of this stuff exposed in us within our society. All those things were already there. They didn't just show up in 2020. They just got exposed in 2020. And what has begun to happen is that whatever the latest thing that comes down the pike, there's this polarization that immediately happens, 
And so whether it's, uh, whether it's a virus or whether it's politics or whether it's justice or whether it's a vaccine, there's all of these uh, both sides taken. And what starts to happen is what uh, Michelle Jones calls the conceit of intolerance. What, what starts to happen is that we begin to see the world through this polarized lens. There's one side and another side. And it's only a small step from one side and another side to us and the other. And when we begin to see people as the other, it's only a small step to where the other is the enemy. And the enemy is unforgivable because they are completely wrong. And now, all of a sudden, the culture has shaped us to no longer live the ethic of forgiveness that Jesus taught throughout all of his ministry. Do you see how subtle it happens? Now contrast that with the the way of Jesus. Not, Not coming to church on Sunday morning, but living the way of Jesus. So imagine if you're surrounded, instead of with a tight group of people who think like you, people who maybe think like you or think differently than you, but people who intentionally love and serve and want to follow Jesus. And those people influence your life towards him. Imagine if the narrative that you heard was not just 30 or 40 minutes out of the scriptures on a Sunday morning, but the narrative that you heard was the scriptural narrative, and it's the way that you saw all of the world, that your teaching and engaging the truth of the scriptures became the framework through which you saw the world. Imagine if the habits that you stepped into were the the ways that Jesus lived, that the rhythms of your life were his rhythms. And as you lived the lifestyle of Jesus, you, fo- you found that the life of Jesus was forming in you as well. Now what would happen would be that we would become, with intentionality, more like Jesus. We would be shaped increasingly into his image. But I hope you see that can't happen just with 30 or 40 minutes on a Sunday morning. That has to happen through a lifetime because there's a a flood of cultural forces that are pushing, pushing one direction and we need to, with intentionality, push the other direction. That's the heart of what we believe about intentional spiritual formation and that's why we do practices. So this practice series on forgiveness is less about learning the nuts and bolts of the theology of forgiveness. We're going to talk about that, and that's important, but that's not really the goal. The goal is that we would practice forgiveness, that we would be people who forgive, who live lifestyles of forgiveness. And so on the way in, there was this practice guide. Uh, If you didn't grab one on the way in, I would encourage you to grab one on the way out. You can also download it from our website in PDF form if that would be better for you. Um, This is going to narrate our journey for the next five weeks as we walk together. And we'll have practices that we do corporately and individually because the goal, again, is not to learn about forgiveness. Most of us would say, yeah, I have a pretty fair, at least, understanding of what forgiveness is but that we would live it, that we would be people who live a lifestyle of forgiveness. There's a guy named Celestine Musakara, and Musakara is a theologian, Baptist uh, pastor, um, and he also has done some extensive writing on forgiveness. What's also fascinating is that Musakara is a Rwandan who lived through and his family uh, endured the Rwandan genocide. 
In fact, only a portion of his family is still alive because uh, portions of his family were killed in that genocide. And so when Musakara teaches on forgiveness, he's not teaching about something that's out here. He's teaching about something that's right in here. Listen to the way that he describes forgiveness and the way it relates to the church. Forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. And if we are to live lives that shine forth God's good news, we have to learn the ways of living that make for peace. And if forgiveness is the heart of the gospel, it is the center of the church's mission as well. Here's what he's saying. Forgiveness must be the lifeblood of the church. This is for us a foundational practice, not an optional add-on, not something that we get to when we have enough time or when we start to feel like it. Forgiveness is central to what it means for us to be the church, which is why we're going to engage this series so we can begin to step into it. As I say that, I want to equally say I use society and the divisions in society as an illustration because honestly, as deeply charged as that is, that's the easy one. Because there are some of you, and I know your stories, who come in here with real weight, real sins that have been committed against you, true, deep injustice. And some of you, even as I started to talk, said, uh-uh, oh, I don't care what he says, I'm not going there. Some of you just immediately pushed it over to the side and said, forget it, I'm not, I'm not forgiving that. And what I hope for you to see over the next five weeks is not an immediate invitation into an easy forgiveness. With all of the best intentions, we were taught the wrong things as children that we can immediately, on the back end of an offense, simply forgive. And what we found as adults is that that framework of forgiveness doesn't work when the, the offenses get heavier and deeper. And so we need to be people who forgive in reality, in the real world, where real offenses are difficult and the process is not like a light switch. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to step into step-by-step this series on practicing the way of forgiveness. And as we do that, I want to ask you to stick with a step at a time. Don't try to run ahead to forgiving the greatest offenses that have been committed against you this week. Go a step at a time. And as we walk through it, I believe what you'll see is that the Spirit will lead us into learning to forgive the world around us. This morning we're going to do uh, basically what's an overview or kind of, a, a, a kind of an introduction to where we're going to be going. So we're going to look uh, at where forgiveness comes from, the source of forgiveness. And we're going to look, take a, a little bit of time to look at what forgiveness is not, because I think that's probably uh, the biggest barrier that we have. And then what forgiveness is. So where does forgiveness come from? What forgiveness isn't? And then what forgiveness is? And allow that to kind of be a jumping off point into all that we're going to be doing over the next uh, month or so. So let me ask you to pray with me. Let's invite Jesus to lead us. Lord Jesus, we come to this subject from very, very different places. There's some of us who come here and have to really think hard if there's anybody that we need to forgive 
and there's others that immediately an, an image or a person or a situation, even horrific and tragic ones, come to our mind. But Jesus, we don't want to be driven by our emotions alone, but we want to be people of your word and your truth. And so God, would you, in your grace as the gentle, loving shepherd, lead us, not just this morning, but over these next five weeks, would you lead us toward the freedom that we sang about? that the chains would fall off of us and that we would be able to live the free and abundant lives that you've invited us into. I truly believe that's what's at stake. And so God, I pray that you would, um, you would do a work in us. As we read your word and as we engage your truth, God, I pray that you would save me from my own words that come from my flesh and my strength. Instead, that you would speak by your spirit. We need your wisdom and your guidance in this. And so, God, I pray that my words would fall to the ground and be forgotten, but that your words would remain. They would plant deeply in our hearts and they would grow up and bear much fruit, the fruit of forgiveness and grace and love and peace. And so, God, would you guide us? We open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Luke chapter 7. I, I want to read for you what is probably a, a somewhat familiar story, and uh, there's a ton in it, more than we have time to look at, but I want to pull just a couple things out uh, that will become a foundation for us as we move forward. This is Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come and eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him for she's a sinner. And Jesus, answering him, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, from, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What's going on here? Well, 
what, what's happening, the scene of Jesus coming to Simon the Pharisee's house would have been a very typical scene in Middle Eastern Judaism. Uh, the Pharisees would have invited in traveling rabbis or local rabbis to have conversations around the table. And those who were sitting around the table would have been a group of men who all had certain qualifications to sit there. They would have been rabbis themselves, teachers of the law, those who were experts in the temple. And they would have gathered around the table. You have to kind of picture a, a low table. They would be resting on uh, mats of some kind, and they, their, their heads would be toward the table, and their feet would be kind of sticking out from the table as they sat having this conversation, eating together slowly and having a, this extended conversation. But what's also happening is there are all kinds of people from the town who have come to gather around the house and they're listening through the window. They're not invited to the table because they're not um, important enough to come to the table. They don't have the right credentials to be at the table. But they want to hear. I kind of think of it like a guest lecture series. The, the, uh, Jesus has shown up, and they're going to come listen to what he has to say, what Simon has to say. Simon likely invited him because he believes that he's going to show Jesus is wrong about something or other. And they're going to go and listen to the debate that's going to unfold. And so they're kind of around the outside. So in this scene, the table with the food, with these um, credentialed people, large crowd around the outside listening to Jesus and Simon and the others have a conversation, into this scene comes this woman. And Luke simply describes her as a woman of the city who is a sinner. Most theologians believe she was likely a prostitute, and if not, she was notorious in her sin, whatever it was. Think of the woman at the well in John chapter 4, that kind of a person. She was notorious. Everybody knew. And she didn't come and stand outside the circle and wait or listen or try to peek over the edge. She busts right through the middle, comes all the way in to uh, the complete horror of Simon and those sitting around the table. This is completely inappropriate. And she comes in and begins to wash Jesus' feet with her tears and this ointment and her hair. And the murmurs around the table would have been of deep disapproval. The murmurs of those who are outside the house would have been of deep disapproval. And she didn't care. And so Simon, if you follow Luke's narrative, says very clearly to himself, in his head, without speaking words out loud, if he only knew. Obviously, this guy's not a prophet. If he only knew. And I love that Luke says, Jesus answered him. Would that have freaked you out? Because that would have freaked me out. <laughs> like, I thought I'd said, I, I thought I thought that. Did I say that out loud? Like, I, so he answers him and Simon says, okay, go, go ahead, let's talk. And Jesus tells this story. There's this money lender, two debts, one really big, one a little bit smaller. Both are forgiven. Which one loves the money lender more who's forgiven the debt? And Simon says, well, of course, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus says, that's right. And then um, Luke records it this way. In verse, uh, verse 44, he says to Simon, do you see this woman? He looks right at her as he's talking to Simon and says, do you really see her? You see this woman? And he begins to describe the honor and the love and the care that she had for Jesus. And, and then he makes this statement, her sins which are many are forgiven for she has loved much. He ties together the extent of her love to the extent of her forgiveness just as he did in this little story that he told. And then he says, your sins are forgiven. Straight to her. Again, murmuring around the table. Completely inappropriate. 
And then Jesus ignores that and says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Like I said, way too much in here to get all of it, but there's two points I want you to see. The first one is this. Jesus explicitly ties the love that this woman has not to her ability to generate love, but to the fact that she's received forgiveness. We hear love and we think we're called to be loving people, and we are. But we're not called to be loving people by like working really hard and generating more love. Our, our goal is to receive forgiveness, and out of the abundance of forgiveness, love begins to flow. Jesus ties those two things together, and he says to Simon, the reason why you're a nasty person, okay, Jesus doesn't say it like that. That's what I would have said. Um, the, the reason why you don't love much is because you don't recognize that you've been forgiven much. But this woman Because she has been forgiven, love is the the outflow of what happens. She becomes a loving person because she's been forgiven. And then at the very end, Jesus makes a profound statement. He says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And that concept of peace is a fascinating one. In the Hebrew uh, understanding, peace was not the absence of violence or the absence of war. Peace was the original created rhythm of God, shalom, the, the perfection of the way that God put the universe together. So what he says to this woman is because of your faith, now your heart has been set right. The burden that you had, you no longer carry. So take that peace with you out into the world around you. Like, it's such this, it's a beautiful picture because what he's, what he's reminding us of is when we are unforgiving or unforgiven, there's something that's uh, at dis-ease in us, a, a brokenness, a, a lack of peace in us. So it's when that faith has led to forgiveness that this woman's Heart has been set at peace, shalom. And now she takes that peace out. One of our values at York Alliance is that uh, we want to be the shalom, the peace of the city. And what we mean by that is that those of us who have encountered Jesus, who've received forgiveness, our hearts are set at peace in such a way that when we leave from here, everywhere we go should be better because we're there. Like your neighborhood should have a little party when you move in. Because they're like, great. Like we, these are the people that will make our lives better. This is good. Like when you go to work, everybody should breathe easier because you're there. You, you become, I become a person of peace in all the places we go. Not because of anything that we've done, but because God has set our hearts right, has, has put us back in rhythm with the way that he's created the world. And we take that with us into the places that we go. So what Jesus says is forgiveness is central to our horizontal relationships. They're a a vital, uh, that forgiveness is a vital part of us being able to interact with one another in a healthy way. But it's not just our horizontal relationships. You don't need to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching the disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer, um, one that you're probably familiar with. And if you grew up praying the Lord's Prayer and you've recited the Lord's Prayer, you know there's this one section that we get to, and it's a little uncomfortable for all of us because we have to kind of wait and see what word we're going to use. Do you remember that one, right? 
So you're like, forgive us our debts and sort of trespasses and sins and what, you know, you're like, what, where are we at, right? Jesus teaches his disciples, I'll, I'll read the ESV translation, we'll go with that. Um, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, it's fascinating because Jesus uh, teaches them to pray about the kingdom, about worship, about daily bread, about sustenance and provision, about forgiveness, and about temptation and sin. Big issues. And yet at the end of that prayer, in Matthew chapter 6, he comes back to the, the issue of forgiveness alone. Listen, I, I'll just read for you verses 14 and 15. Finishing the prayer, Jesus says, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We're going to dive into this passage more in a couple weeks, but um, there's this sense where we get to be uncomfortable with that because it sounds like Jesus is saying uh, some version of works righteousness. If you do the right thing, then I'll forgive you. But um, what he's really getting at is that when we understand the relationship we have with God, we will be forgiving. And when we're not forgiving, it's objective evidence that we don't actually understand the relationship we have with God. So I'll, I'll say it this way. Forgiveness is not just about our horizontal relationships. It's part and parcel to our vertical relationship as well. We, we cannot have a healthy relationship with God without receiving and giving forgiveness. So forgiveness becomes the entryway into the life that Jesus has invited us into. That life that we sang about, that, that we pray would be, be going out from here, that the God of revival would go out and chains would be broken and people would step into freedom. Forgiveness is central to what it means to be those kinds of people. Greg Jones is uh, one of the most prominent theologians who writes on, uh, on forgiveness. He's written a ton on forgiveness. And I love this image that he uses. He, he says this, We join the divine dance by being forgiven so we can also forgive. Nothing in this world is more beautiful than seeing broken people healed through God's forgiveness, learned and lived in the body of Christ as they are swept up into God's dance. This, this picture of this divine dance that the Father, Son, and Spirit are doing together and that you and I are invited in and the doorway into the ballroom is forgiveness. Being forgiven. Forgiving others. It's the entryway into this connection that we have with God. Vitally important, essential, and yet incredibly difficult. Because for many of us, the things that immediately come to mind are weighty, heavy difficult things that don't have easy answers. And so what do we do with that? Well, I want to start by trying to dismantle some of the wrong assumptions we have about forgiveness. Part of the problem that we have is that um, we believe that forgiveness is something that it's not, that God has never intended it to be, and it becomes a mountain that we just can't climb because we have a misunderstanding of what the path is. So let me just walk through a few. What isn't forgiveness? Well, first of all, forgiveness is not forgetting. You've probably heard forgive and forget. Uh, forgive and forget was said by somebody who was never sinned against, I think. I don't know how that would work otherwise. Like, um, I, I don't know if you've ever tried this, but it doesn't work. You are actually created to remember, 
Like God has put that in you. I'm not going to walk through the way that our, our neurological systems work because I totally don't understand it. But you were created to remember. You can't just forget. In fact, I would go as far as to say, if you forgot, you wouldn't have anything to forgive, right? Like, of course you remember. And the deeper the offense, the more that you likely remember it. Tied to this idea of forgive and forget is that on the other side of forgive and forget is relationships back to normal. Things are fine. Don't worry, it's all good. Except it's not. And that's, that's not what Jesus has said, that we would just move on, forgive and forget. Forgiveness is not the same thing as forgetting. Forgiveness is also not a feeling. Some of you really want to feel like you want to forgive before you forgive. The problem is, by the time you get to warm feelings about the person who has sinned against you, you're miles past where you needed to be forgiving. The, the feeling of forgiveness for some offenses and some people will never come. And it will always come far past the time where God's called us to forgive. We forgive as a choice, not as a feeling. And that means, bound up in that, that um, we will be healed of our pain over time, not at the moment of forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean that everything's good all of a sudden. I, uh, growing up, I had a, a younger sister, and we interacted as teenagers like I think most teenagers interacted, meaning like we hated each other with a passion and loved each other deeply at the same time. Um, and so I... I always um, was perfect, of course, <laughs> kidding. Um, I, I used to do things that were probably really cruel to my sister. I didn't know most of those things. But every once in a while I would do something to her and I would see that it hurt her. And so then my response would be what I was always taught. I would see that it hurt her and I would say literally in this way with this tone of voice, I'm sorry, which should have been enough, I thought. And then she would look back and she would still be hurt and it would still be a problem. And then I would respond, of course, the very godly way. I said, I'm sorry. That was it. That was it. And my feeling was once I said sorry and reiterated that I said I was sorry, it should be done. But if it was a real hurt, it's going to take time, right? And that's what a lot of us have this sense of. I said, I'm sorry. The other person said they're sorry. It should be done, but it's not done. There's still this thing in us and that's okay. That's part of the process of forgiveness and restoration that we have to walk through. Forgiveness is not primarily a feeling. Forgiveness is rarely a one-time event. Um, this is a real problem for me. I, I usually have enough strength and will and discipline to muster up the ability to do anything once. But the fact that it comes back again in waves is a real problem for me. I'm, I'm good at forgiving the first time and not forgiving from there on out. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. Forgiveness is a process. I picture it like an onion, you know, every layer being peeled back one layer at a time. You can only forgive what you're experiencing in that moment. Um, I've had the, the privilege and the heartbreak of walking alongside of several people who have been systematically abused physically and emotionally over a period of time. And the challenge of that situation is that that first moment of forgiveness is not only not complete, it's barely even the tip of the iceberg. And what happens is God, day by day, 
week by week in grace out of love reveals more hurt and more opportunity to forgive. And there's this process that has to happen over a period of time. We think of forgiveness like a one-time event, and then we're, we're really bothered by the fact that it doesn't go away. It's because forgiveness is a process, and it will always continue to be a process. Forgiveness doesn't mean that the thing you're forgiving isn't a sin. This is a, a weird uh, way that we've understood forgiveness within the church, that by forgiving something, we're somehow justifying that action, that that action was okay. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. The reason we forgive it is because it's a sin. That's the whole point. Forgiveness is not saying it's okay. Forgiveness is saying it's so not okay that I need to do something about it. With intentionality, I need to step into this thing that is not okay. Forgiveness isn't justifying action. Forgiveness is addressing the action that clearly is wrong, that's clearly sin. Forgiveness doesn't require the other person accepting responsibility for their sin. This is a, this is a tough one because we so desperately, particularly when we're hurt deeply, we, we long for that person to accept responsibility, to recognize what they did. And it's, it, we hold on to that, th- that thing of forgiveness as, as though like it, it becomes the reward that they get for recognizing that they did it. But it's not the way of Jesus. We're going to talk about that more in just a minute. But um, Jesus on the cross, remember, says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. They, they didn't acknowledge their place in the process at all, and yet they were still forgiven. And you might say, yeah, but they didn't know what they did. The person who sinned against me, they knew exactly what they did. Then I would take you to Romans chapter 5, where Paul says that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. In the midst of our rebellion, Jesus came and offered us mercy, and he asks us to do the same. Easy to say, very, very difficult to do. I recognize that. But it's vitally important for us to understand forgiveness doesn't require the other person accepting responsibility. Sometimes, um, most of the time, we offer forgiveness before there's even an understanding of the weight of the responsibility of the sin. And one more, um, uh, this is not exhaustive in any way. There's tons of things that we could say about this, but one more for today. Forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. We tend to get these two things confused, uh, and they are related. We're going to talk about reconciliation further on in this process. It is an important practice, but reconciliation requires two parties working together to restore relationship. Forgiveness is not a two-party system. It's a single-party system. Forgiveness is me forgiving the other person, but that doesn't mean that the relationship is reconciled. In fact, um, there are situations where the relationship can never be reconciled, this side of heaven. That the level of hurt and the kind of exposure and risk that a reconciled relationship would, uh, would, would create is just not appropriate. And so reconciliation does not have to be part of forgiveness. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two separate things, and they need to be engaged separately. There are many times that forgiveness does lead towards reconciliation, but there are also lots of times where the other party is unwilling to reconcile, and therefore reconciliation is off the table. And that's okay. That doesn't eliminate forgiveness. It's a short list of what forgiveness is not. What is it? Well, I want to give you two definitions 
Uh, one that I, I think just gives a helpful picture, and the other one is one that we're going to come back to throughout the series. So the first one is by a guy named Thomas Watson. Thomas Watson was a Puritan thinker and writer, and, and he was asked the question, when do you forgive someone? Now, he's not talking about like, uh, like chronologically, when do you make the choice of forgiveness? But the question is, when do you know that you've actually forgiven someone in your heart? When do you know that forgiveness has occurred? This is what Watson says. This is what Watson says. There we go. When we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish, them, wish well to them, Grieve at their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. Whew. Watson basically says, you know that you've forgiven someone when your entire posture toward that person has shifted 180 degrees. Instead of wanting mischief for them, you no longer want that. Instead of wanting revenge, you want blessing. Instead of wanting to curse them, you pray for them. Instead of uh, seeking to separate from them, you seek reconciliation with them. It, the, the heart that Watson's getting at is one that comes over time. It's not one that happens in the moment of that initial step of forgiveness, but as the onion is peeled away, you get to the place of being able to truly love the other person. It's one of the reasons why, we'll talk about this more, the disciplines that Jesus gave us of praying for those who persecute us and loving our enemies become essential to what it means to truly forgive in our hearts. God has to shift us. But when he shifts us, it's not that he's shifting us away from justice. Let's go to the other definition. Dr. Gary Brashears, who's a professor at Western Seminary, defines forgiveness this way. My, forgiveness is my personal act to release the one who sinned against me from my personal right to collect on the moral debt to pay him back for his offense, giving it over to God for his justice and mercy. Let me read that again. This is vitally important. Forgiveness is my personal act to release the one who sinned against me from my personal right to collect on the moral debt to pay him back for his offense. Instead, giving it over to God for his justice and mercy. Several things in here that are really important, but here's the one I want you to see. When we forgive someone, we're not letting them off the hook. We're letting them off our hook. But they're still squarely on God's hook. That's the point. Forgiveness is releasing our vengeance, but recognizing that God is more than capable of handling this himself. It's fascinating. In Romans chapter 12, Paul's writing to the Roman Christians, and he's describing the way that we should live together as a community, and he's talking about all this wonderful way that we love one another and care for one another and bless our enemies and bless those who curse us and show hospitality. And right in the middle of all of that, in the voice of God, Paul says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. And you're like, whoa, where'd that, that angry God all of a sudden showed up? Like, what's, what's happening here? What he's saying is we're able to live in harmony with one another because we're not releasing justice, we're releasing our vengeance. God is capable of handling justice on his own. When we forgive someone, we're stepping away from our enacting of justice. When we try to collect on the moral debt against us by being angry with someone, by cursing someone, by shaming someone, by uh, doing something to uh, destroy the, that person or their character by taking revenge on them. We're stepping into the role 
that is God's alone. Forgiveness releases that person. Now, there are two sides to that. One side of it is that our vengeance is temporary and imperfect, and God's vengeance is eternal and perfect. Therefore, we can trust him to enact justice perfectly. That's really good. But there's this other side. If you've ever read the book of Jonah, you've seen it unfolded. When people, even evil people, truly repent, God freely offers forgiveness. One of the barriers that we have to forgiveness is that we don't trust God's perfect justice because we don't want him to be merciful, just like Jonah didn't want him to be merciful. So what do we do with that? Well, let's go back to the woman, Luke chapter 7. She shows up and Jesus says she loved much because she's been forgiven much. How do we forgive? We forgive by recognizing that we don't have moral superiority over anybody. And this is tough for, if you grew up in the church, if you spent your life generally, more or less, following after Jesus, this is going to be a barrier for you. Because what happens is people sin against us, and we recognize their sin, and generally we've lived what we would view as pretty good lives, And so we feel that we have moral superiority over them and we are allowed to call down cursing on them. And let me simply and lovingly say to you, that's Simon in the story, not the woman. When we find ourselves in that position as though we have done generally pretty well and those evil people have hurt us, we take the pharisaical approach instead of the grace-filled approach. We need to be people who meditate deeply on the fact that we have been forgiven much. We need to be people who understand that there has been a significant weight that has been lifted off of us because of the sacrifice of Jesus. All of us, wherever we are. And so that may be meditating on specific sins uh, that God has forgiven us. It may be thinking about ways that we have acted. Remember when Jesus talked about morality, he very rarely talked about action. He talked a lot about heart and desire. So some of it may be like confessing, recognizing what's deep in my heart. Some of it, for me, honestly, there's a trajectory thing that I think about. God intercepted my life in my late teens and early 20s over a period of time. And I recognize I was on a trajectory that is today very different than the trajectory I was on. What God saved me from is actually the direction I was moving. Like, I go back and project forward. I'd probably be in my third marriage right now. I'd be an alcoholic. I'd be a lot richer than I am right now. But a lot of other stuff, you know, there's been this whole, like, thing that would have happened. And and I recognized that there would have been some, some heinous evil that would have been a part of my life because I know my heart. And the fact that I didn't step into that is simply because of the grace of God. And so when I meditate on that reality, all of a sudden, the moral ground is leveled. And I'm able to love and offer grace. So that's one way. Here's the other way. And this one, I keep coming back to this this week, and it's, uh, I, it's still going to need to be mined out in the next couple weeks. But grace, forgiveness, is a gift that we offer, not something that people earn. 
I want people to qualify for forgiveness. That's just where my heart is. I, when people sin against me, I want them to do certain things in order for me to offer forgiveness. But that's not the same thing as forgiveness. That's an exchange. And I didn't make an exchange with Jesus. He simply came and forgave me. When forgiveness is a gift, we learn to trust God to do what he's going to do, to be God. And his justice and his mercy are sufficient for us. And so the practice that we're going to begin to step into is a practice first of recognizing that we've been forgiven. Apart from recognizing our own forgiveness, it becomes impossible for us to forgive others. There has to be uh, something in us that flows out of us. And so uh, please hear me. I I know there are weighty things that have come to your mind even this morning. I know that as you were anticipating this series, there are weighty things that were on your heart. We're going to get there, but start with a recognition of the weighty things that you have been forgiven from. It's the only place to begin. And so in this uh, practice guidebook, uh, there will be corporate practices and individual practices for you to step into this week, and they're going to be primarily centered around being forgiven and receiving that forgiveness. And so I want to invite you to really step into that. There are some of you who are hearing this, and you, the, the reason you struggle with unforgiveness is not even so much that there are these weighty things that have been committed against you, but it's because you can go back in your life, and you can go to a point in time, or you can go to a habit within your life, and you don't believe that God has forgiven you of that. And until you receive that forgiveness, you're not going to be able to forgive others. And I can tell you, without knowing the specifics of your story, without going through all of the, the nuts and bolts, he, he forgives you. He truly does. We just have to receive it. You know how I know? Saul murdering Christians was forgiven and loved by God. David committing adultery and murdering one of his best friends was forgiven and loved by God. And go on and on and on of story after story. Peter, who had denied him, forgiven, loved by Jesus. Wherever you are and whatever your story is, he forgives you. And we have to start there, receiving the forgiveness that he offers. And so as we respond, the worship team is going to come and they're going to just celebrate because it's, it, it's so true that the goodness of the grace of Jesus is what invites us into forgiveness. And as they do, I want to invite you to respond. And so some of that response may simply be, Jesus, you are so good. And that's great. But for some of you, you may be saying, man, I, I don't feel that right now, and I just need to, I need to speak that out loud. And if that's where you are, there'll be uh, several uh, prayers, intercessors, pastors, elders that'll be just around the outsides on either side, just a couple of you. I'm going to invite you to move in just a minute. And if you just need to get something off of your chest, again, you don't have to be specific because I, we know that regardless of what it is, God knows and he forgives you. But if you need to go and just speak that out loud, let's begin that process of forgiveness. And for some of you, you may be saying, I, I've always been in an exchange relationship with God. I've always offered something to him in response of what he's offering to me. I, I don't know what this free gift idea is all about. We would love to be able to walk you through that as well and help you be able to step into the fullness of life that he's invited you into. So I'm going to invite you as we sing. If the Lord's prompting you to respond, to find somebody on the outside, and we'd love to pray for you and with you.